Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much that whether we're really awake or not really awake, whether we've had an exciting morning or a morning full of strife and discouragement, Father, wherever we've been, Father, you're right here with us. And Father, we're whatever our hearts are full of, whether it's joy and anticipation or or dread, Father, you're right here with us. Literally, like actually right here with us. And that just brings me so much comfort. And Father, I pray that it would comfort all of our hearts and that as we, as we dig into your word this morning, that we would just have teachable hearts, Father, that we would um, that, would, that, that we would listen and be attentive, that wherever we're coming from, Father, that we would just open up and be vulnerable before you, ready to be formed more and more to the image of Christ. And so, Father, we give this time to you. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I took out uh, my first loan. I think I was 22. Um, I had just been overseas for a couple of years uh, with a missions organization, and I got back home, and um, I started at Kirkwood, got a job at Olive Garden. My wife and I, well, we were not engaged yet. We were going to be engaged soon and soon to be married, and um, I needed a car, and I didn't have any money. I had just been a missionary for the last couple years, and so I took out a car loan, and um, that night um, that, you know, after you sign the documents and you go to the you know, get the car and bring it home. That night, I just laid in bed, you know, fixed on the ceiling, just wide awake, um, having all of those buyer's remorse, buyer's regret thoughts. You know, I'd never owed anybody money, uh, ever. <laughs> um, and so the thought that I owed this chunk of money to someone um, terrified me. And, um, you know, I had all of those rational but also irrational thoughts, you know, like, you know, what if I get, you know, super sick and I can't go to work and I can't pay this back, you know, they're going to come hunting me down and, you know, just all of these rational but also irrational thoughts. And I just had classic buyer's regret or borrower's regret. I don't know. Um, cause I didn't actually own the car. <laughs> so I had borrower's regret, I guess. Um, but, um, I was, I, when I came back from living overseas, I lived with my parents, um, until, um, Aaron and I got married and then we got a place together. Uh, and so, I was, you know, talking this through with my dad, who's incredibly responsible and wise. And um, in talking it through, he put my mind at ease. Um, not that this was a little thing that didn't matter, but that you're connected to a community, you're part of the family, you know, we're going to help you if something were to happen, but you've got good thoughts here. And just really kind of talked me off the ledge of, you know, driving the car back to the dealership and taking the money back to the bank. He just really, like, this is, this is a wise move, you're doing the right thing. And um, having, having, that, having that community was a protective uh, really positive thing in that moment. Um, and, you know, a car loan, it wasn't even a significant car loan, but a car loan isn't a big thing in the scheme of life. Um, but it was, it, was, it was important right then, and having community then was indispensable. Um, and, and, and that's kind of a small way that community has impacted my life um, on a much larger, more significant scale. Um, when I was on the mission field, um, some close friends of mine got tangled up in some wrong teaching, um, some just clearly wrong teaching, biblically centered but skewed. And, and I was very close to them, and they were already deep into this. And, um, it, and I kind of slowly, be, because I was close to them, kind of got closer and closer to that. And um, uh, praise the Lord, the community that I was involved in, not only in the missions organization, but my community back home, 
uh, saw what was happening and immediately sounded the alarm, and that community was protective in that moment. Um, with the whole car loan thing, it was more just affirming, just keep doing what you're doing. But man, in that moment of being overseas and being kind of connected to this wrong teaching, community then was life-saving. Life-saving. Not in a little way like, oh, it's okay, you'll pay off this loan, it, it'll be fine, just keep going. But like, stop, turn around, go back. You're not on the right track. Life-saving in that moment. And uh, as you launch growth groups or relaunch them or kind of reinvigorate them this fall, um, I'm just so excited to be able to share some truth about uh, what community does for us, why it's so important. Um, and we're going to do that in Hebrews. Um, turn with me to Hebrews 10, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 25 this morning. Um, and the book of Hebrews um, is just super, super relevant for us today. Um, the Hebrews were struggling with buyer's remorse or buyer's regret. Not, I mean, they didn't buy anything, but they had bought into following Jesus, and they were having buyer's regret. Like, they were having these confusing thoughts about, like, did I do the right thing? Should I, should I, should I go back? Should I, should I take it back, exchange it, get, get my money back, and go back to the way I was living? Whether or not the readers of Hebrews were Jews before following Christ, they definitely had a Jewish background. They were familiar with the Jewish faith, with the laws, the sacrifices, the ceremonies, the ceremonial cleanliness. They were familiar with all of that, so much so that they were really confused about whether or not following Jesus and his sacrifice was enough or whether or not they should blend to that faith the Jewish rituals. And they were stuck. I mean, like, the writer of Hebrews is addressing a real issue. Like, they were ready to go back if they hadn't already gone back. They were ready to. They were in that same spot that I was, like, wide awake at night. Like, do I, is, was I right? Was I, was, was I not right? And the writer of Hebrews is kind of calling them off the ledge, kind of talking them off from, about, from, from what they're about to do, which is walking away from dependence saving faith in Jesus and walking back to dependence on the Jewish rituals for salvation. And we know it's not the acts themselves. It's not the diet. It's not the sacrifice. It's not the ceremonies and the festivals and the holy days. It's not the acts themselves. It's the dependence on those acts, the confidence in those acts for salvation. And so he's not, he's not trying to talk them out of the significance of the Jewish faith, but out of the dependence on those things for salvation. And so he combats that with just emphasizing in a beautiful way the supremacy of Jesus's priesthood, because the priesthood was a huge thing in, in the Jewish faith. The priests were the intermediaries, the go-betweens between you and God. And the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is the, capital T, the high priest, the only one we need anymore. And Jesus' sacrifice as the high priest was the one and done, all-sufficient sacrifice. He combats what they're thinking about, what they're trying to blend with Jesus, with the supremacy of Christ alone, period. But he gives them something else. He gives them some applications, some things to do. He, he presents them these, these grounding truths, but then he doesn't stop with just information. He actually helps them put boots on the ground. He helps them... You know, rubber meets the road. He helps them with what do you do with these truths. And that's where we are today. And this is still for us today. 
This is super relevant. We live in a culture that doesn't want Jesus to be supreme. He wants, you know, our, our culture wants Jesus to be one of many. And even in our Christian faith, even in the Christian community, we can be tempted to make Jesus one of many. We can not, 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 you know, downplay Jesus, but just kind of put him on par. You know, we don't want to talk poorly about who Jesus is. We just don't want him to be supreme and preeminent. We don't want him to be Lord of our lives. And so even though we might not be tempted as a Christian community in 2018 to kind of go back and blend our current faith with the Jewish faith, we are absolutely every day confronted with the offer to make Jesus one of many. Every day. And so these application points that the writer of Hebrews gives us, it's very much for us today. Because even though we might not be tempted to go and make ritual sacrifice or observe holy days and think that that is what makes us right before God, we can very much make Jesus one of many in our hearts. And so what we're talking about today, and we're going to kind of focus in on the application of the togetherness piece with the whole growth groups, life groups um, component, it's very much for us today. Um, and so what are these three things? Let's read Hebrews 12, or sorry, not Hebrews 12, um, Hebrews 10, um, starting in verse 19 together. He's going to tie together some of these really, really foundational truths from earlier in the book. He's going to tie them together and make them really practical for us. Um, so Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most high place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with assurance, a sincere heart, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. So he's going to tie together all of these foundational truths, just elevating the supremacy of Jesus over all other ways and assurances to God. Jesus alone. And then he puts boots on the ground and gives them three things to do. The first thing he says to do is draw near to God with full assurance. Draw near to God with confidence. Confidence. When you're waffling, when you're unsure about whether or not you're headed in the right direction, you've got to move boldly. If you move timidly, you always kind of hold in the back of your mind, ah, I'm not sure. When you take tentative, small, weak steps, there's that perpetual doubt that kind of lingers. But when you just go for it and just commit and move boldly and confidently in the direction that has been presented to you as true and that you believe is true, you start to put distance between you and what you've just turned away from. And so as the readers of Hebrews were kind of like, I don't know if this is the thing. I don't. The writer of Hebrews says, you've got to move boldly because of who Jesus is. You've got to move with confidence and assurance into God's presence. Nothing else makes it possible. No cleanliness, no diet, no sacrifice. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, period, makes it possible. So go. Go, like with confident assurance and put distance between you and where you came from. 
And then he says, hold. He says, hold firm. Unwavering, unswervingly. That's hard because when you're unsure, if you're like, eh, I think this is right. And the, and the readers of Hebrews would have been like, okay, but what about the cleanliness? Isn't that good? What about the sacrifice? Isn't that good? What about all of the laws and the security of all of those rules? Aren't those good? And the writer of Hebrews says, you've got to hold firm to Jesus. Unswaving. And today, that is all the more true that we have to hold because you are sold and advertised a thousand other things to put as the supreme thing of your worship. You're going to walk out these doors and you're going to see billboards and advertisements all around Waverly. I'm going to drive back to Cedar Rapids. Tommy and I are going to see him on the side of the road. You're going to flip on social media. You're going to turn on the TV. You're going to drive to work tomorrow and you're going to see every conceivable thing to make your one pursuit. Advertisements to say, hey, this will fulfill your life. This will fix all your problems. You're going to see lots of things, lots of other faith systems that will say, hey, this is the way to God. We have to hold all the more firmly today because what we have to experience that the readers of Hebrews didn't have to experience is just the plethora of advertisements and sales pitches that bombard us. And we have to hold, hold unswervingly. Not only do you have to hold from these external advertisements, but you have an inborn traitor. You have an inborn traitor in the flesh constantly pulling you away from dependence and worship of Jesus, constantly. And that traitor, that inborn traitor is good at what it does. Good, really good. Because your flesh wants nothing to do with being conformed to the image of Christ. And so as the readers of Hebrews were pursuing Christ, they were being pulled away, not only by these external Jewish laws, but by this inborn traitor. And we have that today as well. And the last thing the writer of Hebrews gives the reader of Hebrews, and I keep saying writer of Hebrews because we don't really know who wrote it. Um, there's some pretty good evidence that Apollos wrote it, but we don't know. And so I'm going to just say the writer of Hebrews, um, lest we get down a rabbit trail. So the writer of Hebrews gives the readers another uh, really practical thing to do. And maybe we could split it up into two things because verse 24 and 25 could maybe be separated as two things, but we can kind of lump them together into one um, in kind of this umbrella of togetherness. Um, verses 24 and 25 say to spur one another on, that's 24, and then 25 says let us not give up meeting together. And that's kind of where we're going to camp out this morning. It's the togetherness piece. It's the togetherness piece. He says, be confident, confidence, pursue, approach Christ with confidence and assurance, confidence. But then he says, perseverance and faithfulness. And the last thing is togetherness, confidence, faithfulness, and togetherness. And that togetherness piece where we're, where we're camping out today, I think there's some really good reasons to focus on that today. One of them is you're kind of relaunching and reinvigorating these growth groups. But the other reason to really emphasize togetherness today is because in our culture right now, togetherness is really not put on par with faithfulness and perseverance and confidence. Togetherness is seen as sort of an optional good thing. 
But the writer of Hebrews doesn't say it's kind of an auxiliary, optional application of these truths. I mean, we would all say that, yeah, as we're following Jesus, we should be confident in our faith. We would all say that. And we would all say that in our faith, we should be assured of the promises and we should be faithful in persevering. But we would probably say that coming together on a Sunday morning or meeting as a growth group is a good idea if we have time. The writer of Hebrews didn't say that. Lumped it right in with their personal faithfulness and their personal confidence in Christ. Didn't say, well, as long as you're not too busy and work isn't too stressful and you don't have to work over the weekend. No, he didn't say that. He said, it's right in line with your personal confidence in the promises of who Jesus is. He didn't say, well, if you're not on vacation and if your kids aren't in sports, then, then you can go if you have time. No, he said it's right in line with your confidence in who Jesus is, that you would meet together, that you would spur one another on, that you would literally kind of antagonize each other towards holiness, that you would like poke at each other to be more Christ-like. It's not, it's not optional. And yet in our culture right now, and especially Right now with the proliferation of podcasts, you can watch anybody's sermon at any time online. Like, well, I can go to church on a Thursday. I'm driving to work. I'm going to turn on the sermon, and I'm just going to have church in my car because I'm busy. And then meeting together on a Sunday morning or in a growth group is optional because I already went to, I mean, I already had that worship experience. And so we treat this as optional partly because we have so much access to connectedness outside of literally meeting together. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't give us that option. There is a spiritual kind of mystical connection of physically being with other believers. It's real. Like, the Holy Spirit lives in you, lives in me. And when we're together, there's a spiritual connection there that you can't replicate. And the writer of Hebrews calls us to that. Says, do not give up meeting together. Do not give up meeting together. And this is, this is of utmost importance because your faith and your flourishing is of utmost importance. Yeah, you might say, well, I can, I, you know, it's, yeah, it's good. It's vitally important. Right after this passage that we just read, the writer of Hebrews goes on to describe the significance of staying faithful. The back half of Hebrews 10 is hard to read. It's, it's, it's hard to read. So is Hebrews 6. Because your faith and faithfulness in following Christ is of utmost importance. It's of utmost importance, first of all, because it's for God's glory. It's for God's glory. Your flourishing and the flourishing of the person next to you in this room is for God's glory. And God is supremely concerned with his glory. Not only is your faith and flourishing for God's glory, it's for your health and well-being and reward. One of the unique things about Hebrews is that there's a big emphasis on faithfulness for reward. And we oftentimes don't want to talk about our spiritual reward because we think that if we pursue faithfulness for the reward, it lessens the significance of the faithfulness. It, it kind of cheapens the obedience if we're thinking about the spiritual reward. But the author of Hebrews doesn't think that. The author of Hebrews holds up obedience and perseverance for the reward as a worthy goal. 
And that matters. It matters. And so as we're talking about this in the context of Hebrews, it's important for us to know that it's still for us today. It's absolutely still for us today. Just because of the proliferation of, of, of access to sermons and good worship music online, it, it's still for us today. And we're going to kind of camp out on this last part of it, the togetherness piece. As you launch growth groups, we're going to kind of dig into why the togetherness? What does that look like? Um, and I want to emphasize right away that when the writer of Hebrews says, let us not give up meeting together, he's not He's not dialing up a prescriptive, really narrow focus of meeting together. We're here right now, right? Like, we're here. We're meeting together. So a logical question is, why do I need to be in a growth group if I'm already here on a Sunday morning? That's a real question. I mean, for some of us, it's hard enough to get to church, to gather, to worship, to be together on a Sunday morning. It takes sacrifice. You're busy. And you sacrifice to be here. So why, why do we push and emphasize growth groups and small groups in addition to meeting together here. Because this, I mean, this right here is an application of not giving up meeting together. So when we talk about growth groups and small groups, there's something extra that we're talking about. There's something additional that we're talking about. And, and, and so I'm not trying to de-emphasize this. This is beautiful and good and, and, and wonderful. But when we're talking about growth groups, we're talking about a way to apply these truths in a way that's difficult to apply right here. So this is, this is beautiful and wonderful, and we should continue. Absolutely. But when we read in verses 24 and 25 that we should spur one another on towards love and good deeds, that can happen here on a Sunday morning when, when, when we're gathered together. But I think that there's a a context and an application of meeting together that's better suited to really spur one another on towards love and good deeds than this is right here. Not taking anything away from this. This serves so many purposes. Namely, it serves those first two things that the writer of Hebrews brought out, that we would draw near to God in full assurance of faith. We just sung songs affirming our faith in God, affirming what he's done for us. And when we do that together, like physically present together, it grounds and assures our hearts. I mean, I sang in the car driving up here. That's why I was late, by the way. <laughs> Tommy and I were singing in the car. Well, he wasn't singing. I was singing, and we were driving, and all of a sudden, we were in dyke. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I said, but it was great. I, I, we were having a great time. Um, and uh, we were singing, and we were just affirming um, we were just affirming who God is and what he's done for us, uh, and it was beautiful. And singing by yourself is, is, is great, but it is not the same as coming together with other brothers and sisters to sing and to be together. It has a way of assuring our hearts. That's what the writer of Hebrews is kind of trying to get us to do, trying to get us to get together in verse 22 that you would draw near to God with full assurance of faith. That's what this does. This also, being together, helps us to hold firm. Pastor Aaron brings the word on a regular basis that we would hold firm to the truth. But when it comes to the togetherness piece, to the spurring one another on, it's hard to do that in this context 
Because what it takes to really spur another person on, it takes insight into their life and into their circumstances. It takes follow-up to be able to connect with them again about those circumstances and situations. And it takes a commitment to being together and sticking it out together, knowing that you're coming back together soon. That it's really hard to replicate like this because where you sit on a Sunday morning changes. Who's here on a given Sunday morning changes. Sometimes you'll get to have a great conversation with your friend when you're here and you'll check up, how's it going? But they might not be here next week or maybe next week you'll have a great conversation with someone else. And so by the time you follow up to that really big thing that was happening in their life, it's two, three, four weeks later. And the spurring, I mean, what's a spur? It's that thing on a boot, right? That like digs into a side of a horse to get them to go. It takes physical closeness to make that spur work. It's got to be in the side of a horse. It's got to be right there on the boot all the time. That's what it takes. And that's really hard right here. It's not to say that this is lacking in any way. It's great. It's just not the best application for that spurring. We need intimate, close fellowship on a regular basis. And the writer of Hebrews knows that and is just pleading with them, exhorting them to do that. Now, I should emphasize, could a church gathering on a Sunday morning fulfill this passage? Absolutely. It absolutely could. It absolutely could. Here's the, I mean, there's no prescribed number of people, right? Like the writer of Hebrews doesn't say, this is how many people, this is how long you gather, and this is how many times a week. It's just, it's just not in there. There's no magic number, there's no magic frequency, there's no magic formula. The tension here is not too big, not too small. The the tension here is, are you laser focused on applying 24 and 25, which is spurring one another on and encouraging one another towards the faithfulness and the perseverance? And if and if it's working, awesome. I, I, I would imagine many churches are small enough and compact enough that they actually do 24 and 25 right alongside their Sunday morning worship service. Awesome. But when, you're, but when your church gets large enough that when you come in and you might not really feel spurred and encouraged or you're not doing the spurring and encouraging, then that too big has maybe become a reality. Now, that's not too big like a problem at all. That's wonderful. Think about how awesome that is, that you're big enough, that you have enough people together during a worship service to sing and affirm and grow. That's awesome. We should never try to limit the growth of the church to apply verses 24 and 25. But what it might mean is that we have to adapt our cultural expression of church, right? Because really what we're doing right here is a cultural expression of living out these passages, right? Like churches around the world do not have these lights. They are not meeting in a building. They are not wearing a wireless headset. They're not sitting in rows. This is a cultural expression of living out these passages. It's a good cultural expression, but this is not it. 
as far as what can be done to live these passages out. So we might need to do something else. That's okay. That's good. We need to be faithful to live these out, whatever it takes. And so growth groups, small groups, home groups, connection groups, life groups, whatever you want to call them, doesn't matter what you call them, are a fabulous way to apply the truths of 24 and 25, which the writer of Hebrews says are absolutely essential to holding firm in your faithfulness and persevering in your faith. The ultimate issue here is still worship, just like it is for this morning's gathering, right? Like the purpose of us being here is to honor and glorify God and grow into Christ-likeness. That's still the purpose of growth groups. But growth groups serve that same purpose in a different way. We're here focusing on Scripture, singing all together. Growth groups have that same ultimate purpose, but they are really good at dialing in that spurring from 24 and that encouraging from 25. And there's lots of one another's in the New Testament, right? If you read through that list of one another's, there's lots of verses that kind of fit into this category of they're hard to do in a larger group setting, right? Like we have verses in the New Testament calling us and challenging us to confess our sins to one another and to call each other out when we see a brother caught in sin, right? That's part of growing together, but that is really hard to do in this setting. Like, let's just be honest. This is a tough setting to confess the sins from the weak. It, it just is. That doesn't make this a bad setting. It's a great setting. We need another setting to really live that out. And you can live that out not just in a growth group or a connection group. That can happen with meeting one-on-one -on -one with another guy or another gal on a regular basis. Getting together at Panera is a cultural adaptation of living out those verses. I meet with people at Panera a lot, drink a lot of Panera coffee and eat a lot of Panera bagels. That's not the only way this can happen because around the world, they don't have Panera. Oh, well, there you go. Sorry. Let me think. What did I drive past here at McDonald's? I don't know. You can meet with somebody for a hash brown and a cup of coffee, I suppose. So that's a cultural adaptation. You're going to have to adapt and morph the way you live out these scriptures to really dial them in. You have to. You can't go through the motions. You can't just show up on a Sunday morning, punch that ticket, and walk out the door. You've missed the whole point. Because as soon as you get stuck in a rut of doing the same thing, expecting the same result, you've missed the bigger, grave picture that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. This is vitally important. Vitally important. Your health and your flourishing, not just survival, flourishing is of the utmost importance. And the writer of Hebrews is calling us to that. And so you've got to adapt. You've got to see the war you're in. Like, I don't always want to go doom and gloom. That's kind of my personality, though. So like, my personality always wants to go to, like, war metaphors and, like, battle metaphors, you know, which is to, like, emphasize the intensity of what's going on. But you really, you really do have to see that. You have to see the spiritual war that you're in in order to see the necessity that you would adapt 
the groups and adapt the meeting together and adapt the structures, hold the structures loosely, but hold the mission really tight. You've got to see the war you're in in order to see the necessity and the urgency of saying, yeah, okay, I see that what we're doing here on a Sunday morning is awesome. I'm going to keep doing that. But if I'm really going to live out 24 and 25, I've got to do something different and something additional because we're not going to give this up. Growth groups are not a replacement for this. It's a supplement and it's a working together. It's a living out all of those applications. The writer of Hebrews doesn't say, take your pick, either meet together or hold swervingly. Like, he doesn't say that. He says, do them both. Hold unswervingly. Be faithful. Meet together. They all work together. You don't swap them out interchangeably with whatever you think is working best at the time. They're all essential. And you need this. You need it. You need it. But I want to emphasize something else that sometimes gets overlooked. They need you. Whatever group you're a part of, or about to be a part of, you need them. You are not a superhero. There are no superhero Christians. There aren't. You're part of a body. There's one head. The head is the superhero. The rest of the body, no superheroes. You are not a superhero. You need the community. But here's the thing. Sometimes we say that and we actually de-emphasize our role in the community in an attempt to elevate our need for the community. They need you. You have gifts, period. The Holy Spirit does not enter your life purely for your salvation alone, and you operate as an island. The Holy Spirit enters your life, seals, your, seals you for salvation, but immediately connects you like blood through a, like a body, like through veins just coursing. You're now connected. You're not this separate appendage completely operating by itself. As soon as you're saved, you're plugged in, and they need you. You have something. You have gifts. You have ideas. You have words from God to give, and they need you. You need them. This isn't a formality. This isn't like a, oh, I guess I see the importance. I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll go and do it, and I'll punch the ticket. I'll check the box, and it's good. Because just showing up to a growth group isn't the goal. Just signing up isn't the goal. I mean, when you see your need and you see their need, that's when the spurring takes place. Sometimes we're really good at being transparent in growth groups, right? For the purpose of spurring and encouraging, we just kind of like bear our souls. And we've gotten better at that in this day and age because of social media. We're very used to just kind of like airing our dirty laundry out there and just kind of like saying whatever's on our mind. And that's good. That should happen in a growth group. But if you just show up and just kind of go through the motions and just kind of like vent what's going on, that's good. But that's not actually what it's about either. Transparency is good. Vulnerability is where it's at. Because the way you actually get encouragement and the way you give encouragement is not just from being transparent. It's from being vulnerable. It's from actually trusting this group with the truth that you need them. We don't like to admit that right now in this culture. <laughs> we like to be independent. We prize independence, that we can do it by ourselves. But the writer of Hebrews says you can't. Do it by yourself. You need other people. 
do not forsake meeting together, not just in this setting, but in a small enough setting that you can feel that spur digging into your side. And you won't feel the spur digging into your side, even if you're in a growth group, if you're transparent but have a wall up. Right? Like you can have a glass wall where everybody sees what's going on in your life, but they can't get in to encourage you. Transparency is not the goal. You've got to get to that life group, be transparent, but then take the wall down so that other people can get in and encourage and spur. And it's a give and take. You're going to be encouraged and spurred and your faith is going to flourish and grow and your perseverance is going to be solid, but so is theirs. As you move out towards them, as you see what's going on in their life and they take down that wall and man, when walls come down and you feel vulnerability in, in a group and you feel that, yeah, they're trusting me with their heart. They're trusting me with their faith and it's shaky and they're scared. And there's turmoil at home and they're, and they're not just talking about the turmoil at home and then walking out with a protective wall. They're actually saying, will you come in and be with me? Man, the spurring and encouraging there, it just explodes because that's what it was supposed to be. And that's what can happen and will happen when we get together physically with each other for the purpose of spurring and encouraging each other on. It might take a little bit of work at first. It's awkward at times to get into this and go. Uh, it's worth it. It's really, really important. If you're struggling with like, do I really, really see this as important? I really encourage you to go and read the rest of Hebrews 10. Not for fear. Because when you read Hebrews 10, you've got to make sure you read Hebrews 10 14 first, and that is because one sacrifice, that's Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he, Jesus, made perfect forever those who are being made holy. When you read Hebrews 10, you read it and you're like, oh my gosh, like that's scary, but you've got to know that as a believer, you are secure, permanently safe. But what we need now in that security and safety is to flourish and grow and blossom and just be exactly the community that God wants us to be. And it's all for the goal. I, I love how the writer of Hebrews wraps up Hebrews 10. Um, he says in verse 35, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. That's the goal, right? That's the goal. Ultimately, that's the big picture goal, is that we would finish the race well for God's glory, enjoying the reward, not only in this life of walking with God, but eternally of his reward. This serves a purpose, a beautiful purpose that you should continue but my encouragement for you today is to really live out verses 24 and 25 in, in, in a growth group. And I'm sure there'll be more information coming about how to get plugged in and how to do that. Um, but that that growth group or that life group would serve the same ultimate purpose right in conjunction with meeting together on a Sunday morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much that you have given us community. I thank you for this community here at Riverwood. 
God, that you have given each person here to each other. That they're connected, they're united, they're woven together. God, I pray that you would help them to see their need for each other and to see how they're needed in the body and that they would just move out, God, boldly and confidently. God, I just pray that that these growth groups would just, just, just be really fertile places of growth. God, that there would be real life change happening, spurring and encouraging each other. Father, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.